0: Rethinking healthcare takes more than disruption. It takes more than thought leaders. It takes change makers and doers. That's who we'll be speaking to on the Healthcare Rethink Podcast, giving you, our dedicated listeners, a rich body of insights to make your own change. This is the Healthcare Rethink Podcast. Yes, this is the Healthcare Rethink Podcast. I am your host, Brian Urban. And today joining me is a dynamic duo of philanthropic innovators from RIP Medical Debt. Joining us today, we have Vice President of Public Policy, Eva Stahl, Vice President of Program Management, Priscilla Keith. And if you don't know about RIP Medical Debt, I'll make it simple for you. $6.7 billion of medical debt wiped away for 4.2 million families in the U.S. Now, both ends of that stat I listed are growing, but we're going to learn about what RIP medical debt is doing to abolish medical debt in the U.S. So without further ado, Eva, Priscilla, thank you for joining our little show.
1: Thanks for having us. Same here.
0: Awesome. Well, uh, I'd like to introduce our guests to our audience on every episode. And I thought, what better way of doing that than having you both tell us a little bit about your story, your journey to RIP medical debt and the amazing work that you're leading here. And then we can really get down to current state and how do we start to fix some of the structural challenges we have with our healthcare system in the U.S. So if we could, Priscilla, can you kick us off?
2: I'm happy to do that. Um, I am uh, based in Indianapolis, Indiana, um, and I think you will find that half of RIP staff is um, remote. I'm originally, <clears throat> excuse me, from South Carolina, and um, I bleed blue, which is Spelman College and Atlanta University. And if yeah, you've yeah. not heard of Spelman, it's the school for African-American women. I received my biology degree from Spelman. Um, and had the opportunity to attend Atlanta University, where I received my master's in biology as well. Um, and I'm a Hoosier um, by transplant and uh attended <laughs> IU McKinney School of, of Law here um in Indianapolis. So, you know, when I meet you, you know, my first thing is who's your family? So that's um how we got the word um Hoosier um here. So very happy to be here. And uh, I will say um quite um quickly here. Um, I've taken um, uh, Jack of all trades route uh, to RIP. I've worked in academia. I've had the opportunity to work at a large pharmaceutical company as well and um, uh, made my bones in public health by being general counsel of the largest public health um, entity here um, in Indiana. So I'm um, doing very well and just a pleasure um, to be here. And so I will pivot to Eva to talk a little bit about her, her background.
1: All right. So I'll pick up on that because Priscilla is my Midwestern sister. So I actually grew up in St. Louis. So we're actually both from the Midwest, but I'm now actually based in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, my journey to RIP. So, um, I ended up headed to the East coast for college and, um, and, and met my partner there, but we ended up going to Texas for graduate school where I did a degree in public policy at the LBJ school. Um, and then ended up back in Massachusetts, actually, to do my PhD work at Brandeis University at the Heller School of Social Policy. Um, you know, I think for me, um, my journey here has been really about advocating for patients. So I spent over a decade um, working at a national consumer health advocacy organization, um, working on behalf of patients to make sure that they had access to the healthcare they need. Um, so in continuing that journey, had this opportunity this year to actually join, um, RIP Medical Debt and build out their public policy portfolio. Um, and that's just been really exciting work when we think about the millions of individuals and families across the country that we're able to provide immediate help to, acknowledging that we are, um, that we have so much work to do to really address the root causes of medical debt.
0: I, I love hearing about both of your backgrounds, how they're rooted in, I, I think the common theme: helping people that need help. And uh, Priscilla, uh, as a as ed- educator, uh, lawyer, public health official, uh, Eva, as, as a community advocate, really, I, I feel like uh, aside from your your strong academic background, it seems like you've really put your hands in the dirt of different communities and and worked closely with different leaders to to change and advance uh, policy. So it's just. It's just exciting. And we're going to get into the pharmaceutical side, a little bit of the medical debt correlated to uh, determinants of health and, and policy. What, what can we do to move us in the right direction in a, in a speedy way? Um, so I, I'd like to kind of get a little bit more into RIP medical debt. So uh, if if Priscilla, you can walk me through a little bit about uh, who you are uh, and, and how you do what you do, which, which is uh, buying debt at really, you know, pennies uh, occasionally on the dollar at the family level, individual level. So, uh, who are you all and how are you doing what you do? Because you've made such an amazing impact.
2: Um, well, we're a relatively um, young organization. We were founded um, in 2014 by two former debt um, collectors, um, one who um, just happens to be a, a veteran. So, we want to give a shout out um, to uh, Jerry, um, who's one of our founders. So we've been in existence since um, since 2014. Um, And what we uh, do is relatively, I won't say easy, but it's um, pretty straightforward. Um, We receive donations from um, various entities. It can be from individual giving, um, from foundations, from um, uh, group organizations who come together um, to say we're going to abolish medical debt. Um, And I will say for every dollar, that is donated. Um, we abolish um, approximately $100 in, in medical debt. And so we um, started out working with secondary market buyers, which are um, is another name for um, uh, debt collectors in terms of buying that de- their debt, because that's how we started. Um, we've transitioned now to working with hospitals to buy their debt, and that's been um, a great experience. And we've recently pivoted to working with local governments um, in terms of working with them to abolish uh, medical debt for um, their communities. Um, and so we have a proprietary um, uh, uh, formula that we use um, to um, look at um, what we will pay um, for that debt. But as you say, Brian, it's, it's pennies on the dollar. Um, but the, the end result is that um, we are able to abolish much more medical debt um, than um, what a person in a normal um, instance would be able Um, to do.
0: Thank you for giving us that that strong grounding on who you are and exciting to see your growth. Uh, I think there was an event recently at the White House with the Biden administration. Uh, Your your other leader there, Allison, was on stage. Uh, So just exciting to see the visibility and also
2: tracking the impact. So uh, it's, it's just amazing. Well, actually, Eva can talk a little bit about that because she was instrumental in helping us to um, be on the playing field at the White House. So I let my colleague um, take a lot of the credit for um, having us uh, be there at the White House.
0: Good good segue. So yeah. Eva, tell me, how, how was the experience <laughs> first of all? And and how do you think the, uh, I think, future ripple effect of being there and having publicity and, and having the message and mission known? Uh, so tell me a little bit about that experience and what's, what's in store from that event.
1: Sure. So I think that there were rumblings at the beginning of the year, um, growing interest in medical debt. And certainly I think people that uh, follow the issue can see its tick up right in the media, um, particularly in this moment, it's it's really been amplified and a spotlight shines on, on the issue of medical debt. And we were contacted by the White House as a key player um, in this space, um, specifically because of our work, our abolishment work, Um, to provide some input and be a part of an event to increase the visibility even more using that platform. Um, I think that the administration is keenly interested in addressing a variety of different dimensions, and the event included not just um, the health side, but also the lending side and also veteran affairs and looking for um, administrative pathways that they could ease the burden of medical debt for individuals. Um, So it was a really exciting sort of event. And I think for us, we really saw it as a launch pad um, to have deeper conversations about medical debt. And we see a lot of the work that we do. We actually have an in-house anthropologist who is able to collect and collate um, thousands of stories from our beneficiaries. And so in that ethnography work that she leads, we really are learning so much about the medical debt experience. And so it really gives us, I think, um, a lever to um, sort of amp up the conversation and really humanize that experience for the media, for stakeholders, for policymakers, um, that patients and people are just suffering and we need to get together and find some solutions. And
0: you bring up such a good point. And thank you for uh, sharing all of that insights, Eva. Medical debt as a connection to mental health hiding in plain sight for the U.S., and it's a U.S.-specific injustice uh, with our our healthcare structure uh, and our systems. So uh, the connection of that was uh, highlighted, and this is a study that I'm sure you've seen as a retrospective analysis on credit reports back from 2009 to 2020, uh, and and it was uh, done by uh, Dr. Uh, Wong, uh, Kulander, and uh, Mahoney, and, and they did an amazing kind of insight overview, and they found that medical debt was highest among individuals who live in the South, of low-income deciles, and more concentrated in lower-income states that did not expand Medicaid. So there was a little bit of the political determinants of health in there as well. And uh, from a policy perspective, uh, it's becoming more known the connections of medical debt as a determinant of health. And Priscilla, this is your public health wheelhouse. And Eva, this mm-hmm. is your policy wheelhouse. So I, first question to Eva, in terms of policy, we're st- it seems like in our country we're strategically placed in the, in the right timing to make big leapfrog advancements. Do you think with change in administration, uh, anything like that pending in the, in the future elections, do you think we're going to get slowed down from having medical debt disassociated with credit reports and disassociated with determinants of health over time? Are, are we ever going to catch up policy to the growing medical debt or is it going to be a continual struggle for for the rest of the time? Um, not to have a grim outlook, but what's your forecast in terms of policy impact?
1: Sure. I mean, look, medical debt is a drag. It's a drag on the economy and it's a drag on um, your physical and mental health and your financial well-being as an individual. And that um, there's a lot of finger pointing about who's to blame for it. But the reality is, is that it is um, it's stressful for individuals um, and it hampers our growth as a nation. And it really demands solutions. Whether or not we'll be able to move some of those solutions is unclear. Right. We have a very partisan environment and some of these solutions require bold and big ideas about um, addressing underinsurance and coverage, um, but at the same time that we all become more accountable for um, the rising cost of healthcare and how we can contain those costs in a way that um, systems can still be successful and patients are still um, free from harm and held harmless. So you know, in terms of forecasting what can happen, big, bold ideas are pretty challenging um, given our environment. But there are a lot of incremental and um, positive policy um, changes that could and should happen, and I think the momentum is there. So I think that the more that the pressure is building from constituents that they want medical debt solved, the more that it will force uh, folks to come to the table and make some of these even small incremental changes um that could be quite meaningful in reducing debt for people. And I think you just saw it probably last week when um, there's now a committee to look at ground ambulances. And that's an that's sort of an outgrowth of pressure, um, but also um, an outgrowth of the No Surprises Act. And so it's really saying we need to look at all dimensions of medical debt. Um, so I, I th- I'm hopeful.
0: That's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> and, and to your point, it's incremental. It's a journey, but maybe an underlying uh, point you're making here is don't let up on the pressure. We need an army of, right. of good bullies in, in, in government and all levels. That's and, right. Uh, if we don't let up, we're going to achieve a lot of success. And
1: uh, I just, just, and, and I would just say too, that people need to remember that this is an everyone issue. You know, someone, we all know someone, if it's not even our, our, our family, but at the same time as the data that you point to points to, is that this disproportionately harms some more than others. And we also need to be very clear-eyed about that and make sure that we prioritize it in our solutions.
0: Absolutely, and and I think um, economic stability in in terms of generational poverty, that's starting to become a a trend in some research with socioeconomic data. And uh, I, I, I love some of the things I'm seeing in some research getting pumped out. And 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 one interesting thing, Priscilla, that I wanted to to spin off from what Eva's comments were, is that this medical debt is, it's it's affecting everyone at different levels. Uh, and that same JAMA article back from 2021 that I, I referenced, they talked about medical debt associated with reduced healthcare use. So the higher medical debt you have, the lower probability of you seeking care for appropriate services that you need, right, thus delaying right. the care you need and right. exacerbating issues. And, and that creates even more of a divide. So from a public health perspective, uh, are are you seeing uh, new opportunities fill in from social health services? So you've worked in Indiana, local government. Uh, have you seen the evolution of community health programs uh, taken place in your own now home state of Indiana, uh, or or even from South Carolina. But have you seen some evolution at the public health, like county and community level start to ch- take form?
2: In terms of medical debt,
0: Brian? In, in terms of, yeah, financial assistance programs, social health services. Have you started to see more innovations pop up and more nonprofits pop up and try and put their hand in to help?
2: Well, I know from a public health perspective, um, public health departments have always um, been at the forefront in terms of public health. For um, many of your public health departments um, in the last few years have declared racism as a public health um, emergency. So we can take from that um, the issues um, stemming from racism and how it impacts the health of an individual um, and or family. I will say I would like to just um, pinpoint here in terms of social determinants of health and how that's getting to be more of a factor or being recognized um, as a factor with regard to medical debt. And let's just talk about that in terms of what organizations are looking at or having to grapple with with regard to medical debt. And when we think about social determinants of health, let's think about what's the access to care. You've already mentioned that when people have medical debt, there's a tendency not to access the healthcare system. And part of that is because number one, they feel as though if they, um, that they won't get the care or will be turned down because they have medical debt. Um, secondly, there is a stigma um, or shame to having medical debt more so than just having regular um, consumer debt. So just in terms of access, we have to deal with that and the downstream impact that when you don't take care of an issue, um, it tends to rear its health, its head um, um, later on. Um, and the impact is that the patient is sicker um, and it costs more to, to heal um, that patient. Secondly, let's look at it from another social determinants of health. When a patient has uh, medical debt, oftentimes they have to determine whether or not what trade-offs they're going to use um, in terms of do I buy food for my family or do I pay this medical debt? Do I pay my rent and, and or mortgage or do I, you know, pay um, this medical debt? Also, just in terms of from a mental health perspective, um, patients are three times more likely to suffer from mental health issues in terms of, wow, I really um, have to pay this medical debt. I don't have the money for it. I really need to see a doctor and, um, you know, there's hesitancy in terms of calling um, on on the medical system um, in terms of um, working with them to um, address certain health issues. And so what studies have shown over time is that the mental health stress from not being able to pay your medical debt um, is tremendous. In terms of looking at um, what institutions are doing, I think first and foremost, and what's prominent is that the attention that medical debt and the impact that medical debt has on families, has on individuals in terms of mental health, in terms of their economic viability, financial uh, viability and access to care has taken more of a prominent role. Um, More people are talking about it and giving it the same status as we are now giving um, student loan debt because they recognize the impact, the negative impact medical debt has um, on individuals in terms of not only just accessing um, the healthcare system, but also just in terms of um, uh, being able to have the financial stability um, to move forward. And the one last thing that I um, did mention is in terms of the negative credit rating that people often, that's often attributed to um, people who um, unfortunately can't pay their medical debt bill um, and receive a negative mark on that. And sometimes that can impact your employment status, that can impact you buying a house, that can impact you renting um, an apartment. And so those are the sometimes unseen impact that that's associated um, with medical debt.
0: I love where you went there, Priscilla, because if if you are accumulating medical debt because you have healthcare needs, uh, you're less likely to, to get healthcare services because you don't want to have more debt. And if you can't pay off your debt, you get negative marks on your credit report. And even if you go to a debt relief program, that I understand stays on your credit report for up seven to years. seven years. So your, yes. your lending power, your buying power, if you're down, you will stay generation generationally down and, and start to become impoverished from family to family in, in local communities across the United States. It seems like we're in a place that there's so many contributors that could help, but don't, they just do the standard process of, Hey, you got a bad credit score. Now you can't get a loan. We're not going to help you. Even if you help remove your debt. We we don't like that. You went to a debt relief program. We don't trust you. you're not going to get access to buying a home or or a car. And it's, it's obnoxious and 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 it's it is absolute new determinant of health and it's it's racism uh in that as well so uh, gets me all boiled up i'll going to move on from this subject before before i go down this path further but
1: but i would just say really quick brian but there are good ideas out there but it goes back to that whole issue around building power and demanding solutions right i mean there there are a number of I think the fact that public health is even interested in medical debt as it emerges and the pressure grows, right, raises issues around surveillance. And the issue of the credit agencies seeking to um, sort of segment and think about medical, medical debt differently. So you remember over the summer that the, the national credit agencies, rating agencies said that, um, that they would take pe- marks off people's credit reports, but it, it still doesn't get under the, you know, like you still haven't lifted the, the, the car hood to look underneath to realize that there are a lot of systemic issues that need to be addressed to really prevent people from accruing that debt in the first place. Um, but, and, There just there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but there are a lot of good rumblings, right? And a lot of good ideas out there. Whether it's helping people enroll in coverage, right? And making sure that those entities are well supported and navigators can help people navigate what is a highly complex system and gaining access to coverage, right? Or bolstering that type of coverage like the Inflation Reduction Act did so that your subsidy is worth more and your coverage is better so that you're low, you have lower out-of-pocket costs, there are still you know, lots of pathways right, to, to improve upon.
0: The positive outlook that you have, Eva, it calms me down immediately. <laughs> so thank you for taking us there. And, and actually to go under the hood for a second, uh, data is centric to a lot of your work yes. for IP medical debt. So I was hoping we could talk about data for a little bit in terms of how you identify people in need uh, defining the people in need in terms of how you want to ab- abolish their their medical debt at a particular healthcare group or system. Uh, how how is data and uh, I guess your continual maintenance of data and use of data been so core to your success? Uh, just tell me a little bit about how that's utilized in, in your in your in your model.
1: Can I just and I would just and I can punt it to Priscilla in a second, but I just want to make a general statement about data and medical debt so you know the general statement is that we don't have a lot of data and that when you when you talk about that JAMA study that's based on credit reports now so you know a lot of what is troubling is all of the advice that flies around across the internet of how to deal with your medical debt bills or your Mm -hmm. medical debt period and you know a lot of it's around negotiation and one-on-one strategies with your with your hospital or your provider entity or strategies around borrowing from family, friends, or putting on your credit card, or doing some of these new, um, you know, financial, um, you know, pieces around medical credit cards or pay now, you know, buy now, pay later. And they all run risks, right? But as soon as you move it from that column of, of healthcare service medical into another column, it's no longer medical debt. We can't see it from a data perspective. And there is no national database. There is no national surveillance of medical debt. And so what you're seeing on the credit reports is only a slice of what actually exists. And that's all that we have access to, right, as an entity that purchases medical debt. And so with that, I just I will actually pass it off to Priscilla to talk a little bit about the data because she's deeply involved in, 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 the, in our structures as well as keeping data um, safe and secure. But I think it's important to note that we have no national surveillance of medical debt and it's a really big problem that needs to be addressed. Great point.
2: Yeah, Priscilla,
0: take right. us deeper.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Eva. Um, ter- Eva is exactly right um, in terms of um, the amount of data um, that we have, um, the level of data and the scrutiny. Um, surrounding the data, Um, I will just say that when we work with um, individual entities or um, corporations, um, the first thing um, that we look at and what we um, usually um, have is a non-disclosure agreement or business associate agreement. And what I've learned is that when you are working with um, PHI, um, that is, you you really want to make sure that you are protecting the data that you receive um, from hospitals that you receive from credit um, collection um, agencies. Um, So in terms of that, we wanna make sure that the data we have um, is stored in a manner um, that is completely protected um, and that we do all that we can to make sure that we protect that data from um, outside sources or nefarious sources um, related to that. In terms of what we'd like to do going forward um, with that data, we'd like to be able to, as we take the data in, And as you've heard Eva talk about, we have an anthropologist um, to help us look at the data to tell us exactly um, from the numbers, because you can be data rich and um, research poor. Um, We'd like to be able to look at it and um, quantify the data to say, what does this actually tell us? Um, What is the number of of persons who are, um, I would say, single mothers who have to um, uh, deal with medical debt on a daily basis. Let's look at families who may have insurance, but as we know, high deductibles tend to wipe out all of the gains that you think that you uh, may, be, may be able um, to gain with retar- in regard to having um, insurance. Um, let's look at from a race perspective. You know, we already have numbers with regard to that, but can we dig just a little bit deeper? I will um, also talk about, just very briefly, we were able to um, work with um, a group um, in um, Atlanta, Georgia, known as Archie, um, where we worked with Perry Undum to just take a qualitative look um, at medical debt in the Atlanta area. Um, And in terms of that um, study, um, we looked at four groups. Um, The first group um, were white, consisted of white individuals, the second um, African-American, the third Hispanic, and then the fourth group dealt with patients, I would say, constituents whose debt had been abolished by um, RIP. And what we found um, with that is that the issue of medical debt transcended race um, and that um, some of the things that we found from them is that they didn't know how to navigate the health system. Um, they felt as though the health system had abandoned them. Um, they didn't trust um, the health system. Um, and um, that was in the three groups. And with the group that whose debt had been abolished um, by RIP, we found what we normally um, hear from our constituents um, on a daily basis was wow, I didn't know that RIP existed, but I'm glad that it does exist. Two, this is too good to be true. Um, Are you really kidding me um, in terms of (laughs) um, what you um, actually do? Um, And third, I think they intuitively know that they may have other medical bills, but just in terms of abolishing that one specific medical bill tends to help them in terms of mental health stress. This is a bill that they no longer have to worry about. Uh, they're able to um, navigate um, the system a little bit better and they just feel really better about themselves as we talked about in terms of the shame um, associated with medical debt. So as Eva talked about um, in terms of the data, um, we're hoping to look at that data as we get more data and be able to quantify it um, and be able to tell the stories in a different way um, that people will begin to appreciate what the impact of medical debt has on um, families and also by alleviating medical debt, what that does for um, individuals and families in a positive manner.
1: And, and then I would just turn to also just the criteria piece, which I think you wanted to, to sort of talk a little bit about, too, Brian, which is that when this data comes in house for us, once the purchase is made with donated dollars, that we have two main criteria at RIP Medical Debt, which is 400% of the poverty level or 5% of income. And really the goal of this is to capture people that are feeling the stress and strain of medical debt. And if you look at data on medical debt, when you hit about 400% of poverty, there's a small sort of slight drop in medical debt. So the goal here is really to capture as many individuals as we can that are struggling and provide them the assistance of abolishment. And that really aligns partly, we lifted our, um, our threshold this year from what was it, Priscilla, from 250 to 400? And, and part of that too was also to, to better and more robustly align with our goals around health equity, um, to make sure that we're capturing as many people who need our help that we can, um, in a really responsible way. So once the data matched, we, we purchased data, um, from, you know, um, a, a credit agency to match up with our debt files so that we can run those criteria. And then we only purchase debt that actually meets those criteria. Um, and then once we've done that, then that's when we, we use our, our sort of our what we call our debt engine to push our letters out to let people know that they're free and clear of that debt.
2: Exactly. Thank you, Eva. That is a, a good
0: both sides of the story. And I, I think from both of you, in research, we tend to focus so much on the findings and the insights gleamed and what is it telling us, but we often forget about each data being a story about someone's struggle, someone's life. And when we're talking about that in terms of medical debt, Uh, you all elevate that story so well. So I love that you're doing the research in a quantitative statistical manner, but then you're also elevating it to storytelling. Like this is about someone's life, family, and why they're struggling every day and the ripple effect on mental health, uh, on maybe their existing conditions, on their employment status and family relations. It's amazing that you've taken the responsibility to do the full story and not just like the, you know, the model of reducing debt. You've done the whole thing and I, I love that and I commend you both for, for doing that. And I wanna take us a step into the future, kind of a compelling question for you both here. So Eva, you mentioned uh, the touch of your work to health equity. What do you both feel, and I'll start with Eva here, uh, your greatest impact in the health equity movement will be over the next two or three years going forward that might extend past medical debt abolishment. Is there anything that you, you see in the, in the creative risk-taking horizon that medical, RIP medical debt will, will step into as well, expand upon?
1: I guess from a policy perspective, it's, it's actually just creating a new conversation and doorway to, um, to Medicaid expansion. It's very, very clear that all the research points to Medicaid expansion as a key policy change that will really lift people up and is um, is really about racial and health equity. And I think the more that we can um, elevate the narrative around medical debt and humanize the experiences of medical debt, that my hope is that it will influence and and spark different conversations um, about taking this step, particularly for the 11 states that still need to, to 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 do this. So, I think for me, really, it's it's an obvious but important um, role that we can play in in amplifying the need to to make that change. I
0: love it, Priscilla. Same question for you. What's what's on the horizon from from your perspective for RIP medical?
2: I think I probably would have would echo Eva's sentiments in terms of Medicaid expansion. I'm a daughter of the South. And so sometimes it, you become a little bit sad because you see the um, indicators, the health indicators have not changed. Um, and some of that is attributed to the fact, the mere fact that um, some of the states um, have not expanded Medicaid, um, and which can account for the numbers that you see um, equated to the lack of access um, to health care. And so... I would like to see much um, more discussion and movement um, in that direction. Um, Because when your health indicators improve, what that means is that your children are healthier, your educational systems are better, um, your economic development um, is better, um, your communities are are healthier, um, the state as a whole um, is healthier. Um, And when your states are healthier, that means that your nation um, is in a much better position. So I'm just gonna piggyback off my um, colleague and friend, Eva's comments and sentiments with regard to Medicaid expansion. I Amen. love it. Amen,
0: indeed. It's a perfect way to bring us to a nice close here. Uh, so thankful to have you both on our little show, Priscilla Keith, Eva Stahl of RIP Medical Debt. Love what you're doing, love the mission. I love that I could be a part of it for 30 minutes here in a dialogue. Uh, I I wish you both a happy holiday season here ahead. And for more insights on our show, please visit thinthrive.com.